Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. Welcome to the show, everyone. Trevor, how you doing? It's Who been is this a, it's guy been I'm a talking to. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's been a minute, as the kids would say. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, it's... I, I'm just trying try to get my bearings where everything is again. It's uh, unfortunately been a little while since we've been able to record together, and this will be the only recording for a couple more weeks as some of me are going on holidays. After some of you have been on holidays for the entire freaking summer, and and, and, and some of you uh... were in in Regina for work. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's just yeah, the stars are not aligning. I think I was kind of thinking earlier. Here's a list of things that have happened since we recorded last. Uh, Michael Jordan has won six championships with the Chicago Bulls. Baseball's been invented. Uh, the New York Rangers beat the Vancouver Canucks to end a long <laughs> drought. <laughs> Just a couple things have happened since the last time we've recorded, or at least it feels that way. But good to get Dave back An- behind the mic. Yeah, Dave Anderchuk and the the Lightning beat the Flames in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A painful, uh, painful memory. Yeah, it's uh, it's summertime, so I mean, your kids are out of school and vacations happening and and things like that. It's uh, it, it takes it takes up time, and, and a lot has happened. Uh, unfortunately, by the time that now that we're talking about it, it, is well well over and probably forgotten about. NHL uh, draft came and went, and it's really free agency free agency is kind of slowed down a little bit. I mean, Dumba to the Yotes mere minutes ago which is shocking a little bit but i think it also kind of shows the the landscape of the nhl right now teams aren't willing to shell out the big bucks i mean he probably could have easily gotten six mil before last season maybe last off season but you know he goes to arizona kind of like on john Klinberg to the to the ducks last year you know a show me deal but uh a lot has happened uh you know it's uh you know for for myself today little guy's four months old and it's like where the hell is the time gone it uh feels like yesterday in the delivery room but time flies and <laughs> it uh it's it's all good but yeah it's uh nice to get behind the mic again and and sit down and talk some sports and record it yeah, Not that we don't talk sports all the time yeah but... i actually record it so yeah no, no it's, it's... Uh, it's it's been too long it's been too long but like i said it just it happens life happens oh yeah yeah. And uh, well, life's about to happen for a few more weeks. Like, <laughs> this will yeah. be well, there was a big trade in the NHL this morning, and, and uh, Ken texted me and he's like, uh, We should probably get up and talk about this. And it's kind of well, like, actually, Yeah, you're right. I think I said, Rip this trade. Oh, rip this, right. Yeah, rip this I trade. Probably what we're going to do, but yeah, 
you know, a few other things we got to cover off uh, as well. Canadian Football League season. Go figure. What's it? Week nine already? Like, yeah, it's season's well almost it. half over here. And, and you and I have not chatted at all about the CFL season. So we're going to kind of get caught up on that. Uh, we obviously have to talk about the big trade in the NHL today. And the Blue Jays, we got to, you know, last time we were talking, they were heading out on a, a big road trip, and that was in May, and it was make or break. And, well, there nothing's changed up and down, up and down. See, we'll get into the Blue Jays a little bit more in depth in our uh, Jays and Flight section. But, Ken, let, let's let's kick off the show with, with our regular. All right, so we're going to jump into it. Are You Kidding Me? is brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and use the code BELLYUP20 for 20% off all your grooming gear, now including the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. So the big trade, Trevor, that you were alluding to, and we've kind of been sitting waiting for this to happen. Where is he going to go? Is it going to be Carolina? But... Eric Carlson doesn't want to go to Carolina because he doesn't like Brent Burns. And if that was the case, I think the Sharks made a huge mistake in trading Burns over Carlson first. Uh, I think uh, Burns is a guy I'd take on my team a a hundred out of a hundred times, but Eric Carlson has now been traded in a three team deal to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Trevor, why don't you break down the trade for us? Who, who gets who? Uh, Pittsburgh gets a very old Eric Carlson. San Jose gets a pile of dog shit. Oh, wait, they get one first-round draft pick. And I guess Mike Hoffman and Michael Granlund, who cares? Guys both in the the twilight of their careers almost. Jan Ruda, sure, who cares? San Jose gets nothing. They literally get crap. And it's it's a a top-10 protected pick as well. It is. It is. So the the best they're going to get is an 11th overall pick. Or 11th overall pick for Eric Carlson, which seems light on my end. Like, as much as we don't like Eric Carlson, he's a 100 point defenseman, but when you don't have to play defense and you just get to focus on offense, then sure, I guess. The Penguins get Carlson, they get a third round pick, and Rem Pitlick and Dylan Hamilluck. Who cares? The third team in this trade, which I think won this trade, they're just kind of there to broker some salary and make it work. The Montreal Canadiens get Jeff Petrie and Casey DeSmith, and they also get a second-round pick. Like, everybody's talking like this is a trade between San Jose and Pittsburgh. <laughs> Montreal wins this trade, especially if they, if they flip Petrie for futures as well. So I... There, here's here's why it's an are you kidding me to, to me. We've been waiting, waiting on this trade. This was supposed to be a blockbuster. Edmonton was involved. The Maple Leafs were involved. You mentioned Carolina was involved. Everybody under the sun wanted to be involved. And it goes to Pittsburgh. And of all the teams, Pittsburgh, like what is Kyle Dubas doing? The oldest team in the NHL just got older. Like that, that that's not a winning recipe. Are you kidding me, Kyle Dubas? You want to make a statement? This is not it to me. They're like, I get they're they're trying to keep that window open for a couple more years, but man, the Pittsburgh Penguins are in trouble. Crosby's a UFA in two years. What if he decides to hang them up? 
you've still got two more years of Eric Carlson after that. I, I'm befuddled. When you sent me that text this morning, I was just like, what? Pittsburgh? Like, why Pittsburgh? This just doesn't make any sense to me. Ken, am I out of, am I out of line here? Like, rationalize this for me other than extending their window that's already slammed shut and and got two nails in it like i maybe they can unlock the window now but they ain't open like that's i don't get this no yeah pittsburgh i i honestly don't know what the hell they're doing here and i i almost wanted to say that um san jose not only got you know a bunch of dog shit in that deal i was gonna say well like they, they only had to retain one and a half million dollars of carlson's salary pittsburgh's taking on a 10 million dollar hit which not only is ridiculous he's the highest paid player on the team now and i was gonna say well you know what? hey good for san jose they saved 10 million dollars and i'm looking at cap friendly here michael granlin for the next two years is going to make five million dollars for the next season this only one year left on the hoffman deal four and a half million dollars they gained half a million dollars in cap space today i know mike greer is new but what the hell are you doing what are you doing because really it's half a million this year you saved on the cap it's five million dollars next year but you also lose kevin lebank at 4.75 duclair at three million Alexander Babarnov at two and a half. Oscar Lindholm Lindholm at at uh, two and a half. This team is still going to be horrendously bad in San Jose. They could not have dropped the ball bigger on this, right? They could have done a Jim Benning and thrown a first round pick in as well, but they really screwed the pooch here. They got Eric Carlson, who was minus twenty six last year, and was a hundred point player. He does not play defense. Chris Letang was minus 13 last year. He is 33 years old. Uh, what did I say? Carlson's, what, 36 or something like that right now? Yeah, 35. He, like, they are an aging. Well, if I switch tabs, I could tell you that. Carlson's 33. Sorry, Letang's 36. They're aging defensemen. You're paying $16.1 million for two defenders who don't play defense. Minus 39 between your top two defensemen. Then you got Ryan Graves, who's 28, making four and a half. Marcus Pedersen at just over four. You know, Pierre Oliver Joseph, Chad Ruedel, and Ty Smith are your next options. That's not a solid core defensively for Pittsburgh. You potentially, in trading Casey to Smith, you're saying Tristan Jari is the number one guy, and Alex Ndelkovic, who, yeah, in Carolina on a very good Carolina team, was rookie of the year candidate, had this breakout season. They didn't qualify him. He got paid by Detroit, and Carolina's been laughing at ever since because Alex Nedeljkovic played in Grand Rapids for a lot of his time in Detroit and is now on a $1.5 million one-year deal with Pittsburgh. Kyle Dubas made a huge mistake here, and I think this definitely puts his stamp on the team as having the big four like he did in Toronto. Um, and I gotta say, he even retained money on Jeff Petrie. He retained one and a half over just over one and a half million dollars on him for the next two seasons, so that Montreal can then flip him for like 
two point whatever and get even more back for in this deal. I don't understand it. It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward because everyone's been talking how this trade has been holding up potential other trades. From a Canuck standpoint, they were saying that they were trying, there's always been these rumors about buyers going to San Jose. Well, how does that look now with them only clearing up half a million in cap space? What's the deal there potentially? Or what, what does that create for the field when really this is not a blockbuster trade by any means? And I, I am not an Eric Carlson fan because I, as a hockey fan, when you're looking at positional play, he's not a defender, right? And I was actually talking to someone at work uh, recently here about Carlson. You know, you have these awards. He won the Norris Trophy. And by no means is he a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. He is a fourth forward on the ice. That is what he is. Hands down, 100%. I will argue till the end of time on that. He is not a defender. And the person I was talking to said, like, the league needs to look at it and say, hey, for the top defensive forward, we have the Selkie. Well, you need to have an actual award like that for the defender who can put up points. Not necessarily play defense. The North should go to a defender who can play defense, which is not um, Carlson. And I, I think Pittsburgh is going to get scored on a lot this season when he and the Tang are on the ice. If they're paired together, if they're paired separately, that's not good. Because I just don't see how their team is going to be defensively at the, at an advanced age, right? Like, how often does Crosby play 82 games? How often does Latang play 82 games? Uh, Malkin, these guys are not durable. They've got injury problems. And I don't think their goaltending got better to, today. I think it got worse. Um, it, it's head-scratching what they did here. Like they might be able to claw back 6 million. If Jake Gensel is out long-term, he's a candidate right now. And that's 6 million off the books, but it well, he's looking at being out for a couple months to start the season anyways. Yeah. And that's like, going to be able, are they going to be able to get past those two months and win enough games to stay in contention? They're in a tough division. Like, yeah, I, I get that. You want to win. Winning's the point of this league. I get that. And Pittsburgh feels like they've, made a trade to continue winning but it, it's very in my opinion very short-sighted this trade it's like let's extend this window if at all for two years this team's in a world of hurt in three four years i like, would say we're less. gonna be looking at the uh, last if that like we're gonna be looking at a scenario pre-crosby where the penguins are going to be dead last like they, they they've they don't have a ton of prospects coming up they don't have a ton of picks they they like they circled the wagon with this team over and over and over. And I get it, you do that when you got Crosby. But at some point there has to be a little bit of forward thinking here. And this trade ain't it. This trade ain't it. So in 2024, they uh they don't have a first round pick. They don't have a third round pick. They don't have a fifth round pick. In 2025. It's a first-round conditional pick. Penn's 2024 uh, first-round pick is top 10 protected. They'll have the option to move the pick to a 2025 unprotected pick if they choose to. So one of these next two years, 24-25, they're not going to have a first-round pick. So it's going to be interesting. They don't have a second-round pick in that one. And then they've got 
picks in 2026, but prospects take time. They don't just step on the ice and dominate the the Crosby's and McDavid's of the world and the Ovechkins are they don't they're not a dime a dozen. Um like let's look at Boston, right? Boston brought back the band for another shot. An aging team that was like it's win now and or we're done. They dominated the regular season. They were a great team. But when it came down to the grind of the playoffs, they, they didn't last, right? So the question is going to be, Pittsburgh wasn't right there. Pittsburgh was not in the hunt this year in, in the East. So I think they very short-sighted gone with this trade, trying to do whatever to win when they weren't really on the cusp this season or past season here at all. And I, I think it's a poor move. And I think it, let me ask you this question. Is this why Shanahan was so quick to walk away from Dubas's GM? And is this why the, all the rumors are Shanahan had to babysit Kyle Dubas? It's very possible. Like this trade just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. It, it It's not, going to make Pittsburgh that much better. I'll tell you one thing, it's going to have a lethal power play. The, the Penguins will have, but it, they already had, for the most part, a lethal power play. And, you know, is it... Let, let's rewind the clock to Burns Carlson in San Jose. This this very much reminds me now of that scenario with Latang Carlson. It didn't work. It didn't work with those two on the same top power play, on the same top pairing. It's like they almost... They stole minutes from each other. They stole the spotlight from each other. Are you just in for that again? Like, Latang is a number one defender. Granted, he's an old number one defender. So, I guess you've uh, you've gotten younger on <laughs> your number yeah. one defenseman. <laughs> Maybe. Did they, did I, they know? I don't get it. Carlson's got – is so injury prone. It's like he's got the body of a 90-year-old, right? Like, the guy might be 33, but he – plays like he's damn near 40 because he's been injured all the time. You know, looking at Brent, you, you know, talk about Brent Burns in San Jose. And last season, he was only a minus 55, had 54 points. Minus 15, 54 points. The season before that, 29 points, 56 games, minus 13, minus 22. The year before that. What would you, I mean, like, what would you rather have? Brent Burns plays a, a physical game. He's a big body, right? Like San Jose, the minus is because San Jose is horrible, right? Now, did that relationship between Burns and Carlson not work because maybe Burns got tired of Carlson's shit and just trying to get points versus actually playing the position he was supposed to play? Like Brent Burns is a converted forward, the defenseman, right? I, I, I It didn't work there, and I don't know that it's not going to work. Like Carlson... I think we got to stop looking at him like he's that guy that racked up all those points in Ottawa before the injury, before he got traded because he's, he hasn't been that guy, right? Like yeah, but he got sure. he, you're discounting the fact he did get a hundred points last year. Like he, but can you get that again? That that's, that's my concern. And you've just paid $10 million for hopefully getting four more seasons of that. Is he going to do that again? 
like San Jose was a tire fire and he was just allowed to play offense. Like he's going to have to have a little more responsibility in Pittsburgh. And is he going to get 60 points, 70 points having it like with a little bit more responsibility? I don't know. Well, and that's I really why I discount know. it. That's why I discount the hundred point season because he was on San Jose. No one gave a shit what he did. No but he one still cared. put up a hundred points. He sure. still put up a hundred points. And if Pittsburgh has just acquired a 100 point defenseman, then they've done wonderfully in this trade. But I'm not convinced that that's what they've acquired. I'm not even no. convinced they've acquired a 70-point defenseman. But the, the but, and that's kind of where I was trying to say you're discounting it, if they do get that guy, even if they get an 85, 90-point defenseman for two years, they've, they, they've still acquired an 85, 90-point defenseman, which is hard to find. I'm just not convinced that's the guy they've acquired. If he is, then okay, Pittsburgh's done okay in this trade, but there's just there's too much risk there at his age, at his contract, for my liking, to make that trade and 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 understand why you make that trade. Because if 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 you're only going to get 60 points out of Eric Carlson, then this is a massive failure. But there is a possibility you're going to get 80, 90, 100 points. That does exist. I just, I don't think they will. And the reason I discount it is because in, in San Jose, really, I mean, you got Hurdle and Couture. Outside of that, those two guys, there really isn't much else there. So Carlson could be the guy who goes out there and gets the puck, gets the points, all that kind of stuff. He is not the number one guy. He's not the number two guy on that Pittsburgh depth chart. You got Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Latang. Like you've got so many other guys ahead of him that the expectations in San Jose were okay, well, we're going to show up for 82 games. We're going to play 82 game schedule and we're going to get shit kicked on a nightly basis. Right. So who cares? Like that's where I see like the expectations were there. So if Carlson gets 100 points, Sure, it's because he's not playing defensively. He's just out there doing whatever and getting the points. Pittsburgh wants to win. Pittsburgh is making this deal to win. So the expectation is not only going to be we expect you to score, we also expect you to play defense. And that's where I don't think he can do that, right? Can he stay healthy? No, the pressure is going to be on him. And I think, I'm going to throw it out there right now, he will fold like a cheap chair launcher he's not going to be able to produce what he wants when there is pressure to win and i think that's a huge loss for pittsburgh in, in making this deal i i never thought carlson was gonna be a needle mover for whoever ended up trading for him and i still don't i want to look at the sharks here for a second before we move on from this topic and the question i have is what the hell are they doing is this a team that's rebuilding I would say yes in a team that's gotten rid of Eric Carlson and Brett Burns in consecutive summers. But then you look at some of the, the contracts that they've got and, and still on in the age. You get Thomas Hurdle. You just locked him up for an extension. If you knew you were trading Carlson and Burns in the last two years, why are you locking up Thomas Hurdle to a eight-year contract? You've got Logan Couture for another four years. You've got Mark Edward Vlasic, an aging 36-year-old Mark Edward Vlasic for three more years at $7 million. Was there no forethought from this team? Let's rewind it three summers ago. 
with Burns still there, with Carlson still there. And, and that's when you started to see these extensions to Couture, Hurdle. Was there no thought then at that point that, hey, these guys are getting really old? We should probably move Carlson and we should probably move Burns. But, hey, let's lock up Thomas Hurdle. And, you know, a 29-year-old Thomas Hurdle for eight years. Like, what are they doing? Like, you would say they're tanking, but then they've still got, like, ridiculously high-priced tag guys that they're never going to be able to move. I'm so confused by the San Jose Sharks. Like, move Logan Couture. If you want to if you want to tank and, and try to get a high draft pick, well, move Logan Couture. That guy's still got – he's got four years left at $8 million, which is a lot, but he's still a very good hockey player. You probably could get – a healthy return for Logan Couture, top line center. Move Thomas Hurdle as well. You know, that's now hard because he went and locked him in until he's something like 36, 37, and 8 million a season. Like, I'm so befuddled by what the San Jose Sharks are and are trying to do. I get that you, you're trying to now get high draft picks, but I think what you get last year, fifth, I think. I think they picked fifth. In one of the best drafts ever, you still weren't good enough to get in that top three and get a possible generational player. You got a good player. But they're going to be in the same boat this year. Like, I'm, I don't know. This, this once proud franchise to me is just rewind the clock four years ago. They screwed up four years ago when they didn't have a direction. And it actually kind of reminded me of the Calgary Flames. The, who probably should have switched courses a couple years ago and didn't. San Jose probably should have switched courses. They didn't, and they're getting pennies on the dollar for Burns and Carlson now. They're not, like, the best they're going to get is an 11th overall pick for Carlson. That That's by no means a guarantee. Like, yeah, I am so befuddled as to what the San Jose Sharks are doing. Well, that's if Pittsburgh they're trying to tank, to- but they're, they're not doing it well. Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh can keep the 2024 pick or give him an unprotected 2025. If I'm Pittsburgh, I'm keeping, I'm giving up the protected 2024 because the following year you could, depending on how the season goes, you could be horrible even with the players you got. Like San Jose has got seven and a half million dollars tied up in retained salary and buyout history. This season alone, they got 4.22 million going to Burns and Carlson followed up with 3.225 going to Martin Jones and Rudolph Balsers in buyout history. And, and then the next year, it's still 4.2 for the defenseman, the pairing that everyone thought would be so great together, and another 1. 1.6 for, for Jones. The Jones ones is a four-year buyout. There's two years left on uh, Burns and four years of carrying a $1.5 million for a guy who no longer plays on your team. Like, this is Greer's second season or third season as GM. Like it, he hasn't know. he hasn't been there very long. If you're Thomas Hurdle, are you a little pissed off that you signed this gigantic big money extension and then last offseason out goes Burns, this offseason out goes uh Carlson and you're looking at well, and I went Timo Meyer for a relatively underwhelming yeah. return. Yeah. You have seven forwards under contract next season. You got most of your defense under contract next season, but it's 
It's not a defense you're writing home about. And, and you got Mackenzie Blackwood as your goaltender next season. What the hell do they plan on doing? Because it, it's a shit show right now. And uh, yeah, he signed the contract, but you kind of got a feel for a guy like Hurdle, who is now looking at his entire career in this city. He's got a no movement clause. He holds the keys, but that's a lot of money that they got to try and move. Is he worth it? Possibly, but not many teams can take on eight million. And for the for that team to get eight million dollars clearance means they're moving out a lot of decent pieces, and then hurting their overall roster. So San Jose is a huge question mark, and I just who knows. Who knows what the hell they're doing because it is quite brutal in that organization right now. I want to just quickly circle back to Timo Meyer. Like you didn't even get a first round pick for Timo Meyer. You may have if New Jersey goes on a run. There's some crazy conditions on that pick, but you pretty much got a second and a seventh for Timo Meyer. He was probably your most skilled sniper. So like you didn't necessarily capitalize on him. You got an underwhelming return for Eric Carlson. You got an underwhelming return for Brent Burns. How about you get a, a overwhelming return for one of these guys instead? Like I'm, they're they're selling off, but they're not getting they're getting pennies on the dollars for the guys that they're selling off, in my opinion. And it's going to be a long decade in San Jose because you're yeah. still you're still looking at four more years of Couture and hurdle playing together well that's those two are good enough together to for san jose to accidentally win a few more hockey games than they need to be right now and it's going to hurt their draft decisions i this franchise has been so good for the most part since they've come into the league and now they're just they're they're a rudderless ship and it's not going to be good and can a can a market like san jose I know now they draw relatively well in attendance. Are they going to put up with this? Because it's like, is that market essentially going to put up with like a decade of darkness like the Oilers did, where they were just bad for a decade? I don't think, you know, the other fan base was willing to. I don't know that San Jose is. Like, they already had to install lights under the seats in their building so they could turn them on in the pregame to make it look like there's more people in that building yeah, than yeah. there is. Like, it, I'm, I'm a little worried. They better... Well, they're in our division, so I hope they don't do too well. But they almost <laughs> need to hit the hit a jackpot and you know get the next you know win the next uh, generational player just to get asses back in that building. Because I the long term outlook on the Sharks ain't good. What whether you get that talent or not, I think it's still it's how the team's run. And if the team's not run right, it doesn't matter if you get that talent because they'll still find a way to screw it up. It, it's a Bit of a sad state there. I don't and I don't think the fans will show up, right? Like we'll talk about it in our CFL talk, but losing does not bring fans to the stands, right? Like regardless, like you know, you might get the Connor Bedard bump when he comes to town, you know, things like that. Like, oh, let's go see this, you know, this kid who they're saying is gonna be the next big thing. But ah, it's gonna be ugly. It's going to be ugly. And that's the best well, way. Okay, why, don't, why don't we move on? And we'll talk about a few other things that have been ugly as well. 
Yeah, let's uh well, let's let's jump to the CFL, Trevor, and let's talk, let's talk about the Edmonton Elks. Um oh. yes. <laughs> Sorry. Their law lo- their loss to BC set a professional sports record for the longest home losing streak in history. Now, you and I being, you know, BC Lion and a, a Calgary Stampeder fan, we don't mind seeing the Edmonton Elks lose, right? I, I think we take some some uh, pride in that. We, we enjoy it. There's an, an enjoyment level to that. I'm going to say at this point, it has become extremely sad. And it's no longer funny. Because it's not. The Elks being 0-8, shut out by the BC Lions twice this season in a league where you get a point for missing a field goal or punting through the end zone. They couldn't even get past the BC Lions 40-yard line. It's no longer become funny. They've given up 212 points. Their point differential is 107 the closest to them next is negative 64 in Hamilton. Who, by the way, have managed to give up more points than Edmonton somehow. It's it's brutal. In eight games, they've only scored 105 points. Like what? You're, 13 points per game? 14 points per game? That is dreadful. I mean, we got to think, they were shut out twice. Zero points. It, it's just the sense of the 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 ha ha around it is is going away because it's not good for the league. But the league also owns uh, a small percentage of why the Elks aren't making the necessary changes. Right? The league did not force the Elks to sign Chris Jones to a four year deal to be the GM, head coach, and the defensive coordinator. FYI, the DC should have been fired a long time ago because it ain't working. But where the league holds some responsibility in having this complete shit show continue is the fact that they introduced essentially a football operations salary cap that affects your coaches, your executives. So you can't go spend the money on decent coaches at every position. You have to be frugal with it. But now the Elks are in a, in a case because it's a, it, the rumor is, it, it was we all know it was four years, but the rumor is that it's guaranteed money and it's big money. And if the Victor Chewy has already said they really can't make changes because if they do, it affects the operational cap for the next two seasons after this, which means you're essentially, you might as well fire Chris Jones and then have fan coaches for the night. Right, maybe come up with an app to let them pick the play, but the CFL owns a little bit of this because they're causing, they've caused the inability to make a change where a change is needed. But I mean, I, I, a big part of this, I think a lot of this falls at Chris Jones's feet because he is the GM, he is the head coach, he is the defensive coordinator. He decides on the roster, he makes the calls, and why. In week nine, after they bumped Jarius Jackson up to 
offensive coordinator, not even firing McAdoo, but keeping him on as an advisor, are we now seeing the Elks moving away from Taylor Cornelius and going to Trey Ford when that should have been done last season? It's just, it's a joke. But here's the thing. It's not going to matter. Trey Ford's no better. Nope. Amarillo sucks. Sorry, Taylor Cornelius. He it's sucks. E- Trey Ford's easy no done better. They, they, they went... Yeah, they went and spent money on receivers. Now all those receivers are hurt. Like, you know, they, they tried to get better and they got worse. Like, yeah. they actually, they knew offense was a problem last year. So they went and brought in big name receivers to fill that void. And it's not helping. They brought in one of the best receivers in the league, Eugene Lewis. Yeah. Eugene Lewis, exactly. Like, Iron Moore. 14 points per game and the CFL is is crazy. Just crazy. Like the Stampeders are a team that struggles to score points, and even they're putting up close to 25 points per game in the Canadian Football League. 14. Like it's almost double. The Elks are awful, awful, awful. I feel so bad for that fan base. I Deep down in my heart, I, I, I'm loving it as a Stampeders <laughs> fan. I love it. But I feel bad for that fan base. 21 straight times they've gone to that Commonwealth Stadium to watch their team play and lose. I was getting antsy because the Stamps were at like five games in a row that they had lost <laughs> at home. And, and I was getting antsy. I was like, man, it's been a long time since I've seen my team win. <laughs> COVID wasn't even a thing. <laughs> the yeah. last time the Everton Elks won at home. This is insane. Well, but it's you... all Chris. It's all Chris Jones's fault. All Absolutely. Chris Jones's fault. I I will tell you right now, if there's one human being I do not feel bad for in that Everton Elks organization, it is Chris Jones. Chris Jones is getting exactly what he deserves. Chris Jones left the Calgary Stampeders under shady circumstances. Chris Jones left the Toronto Argonauts under shady circumstances. Chris Jones bailed on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Chris Jones bailed on the Edmonton Eskimos. Days after signing a new contract to be the head coach in in SAS. He got run out of the NFL. The Cleveland Browns, he went down there got run out of the NFL and came back to the CFL. Chris Jones is getting exactly what he deserves. But unfortunately, he's being well compensated for this. Absolutely, He don't yeah. give a shit. He's standing on the sidelines going, wow, I'm making great money. I don't care if my team sucks. They can't get rid of me. Well, and he doesn't have to make them better. No. It's he, like, the, the, the signing of players maybe he's and smarter than all of us. Better. Yeah. You, you talk about the fans. Maybe and, he's smarter than all of us. Uh, I don't know about that. But, you know, he, he t- I talked about the, the BC Lions were just here last week to play a game. And, you know, the wife and I talked about, you know, do we want to go to the game? And we kind of like with the little guy, it would have been too long for him. And if it was, you know, weather, whether it was good weather, bad weather, probably wouldn't be great for him to be, you know, can't tough to get him out of the sun. But I started looking at ticket prices. Well, you could get a ticket for 20 bucks. And, um, but it's, you're touching the clouds. You're at the top of Commonwealth for 20 bucks. And yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have moved down though. 
Oh yeah. But I just for shits and giggles, I looked at how much lower bowl tickets are going for. They are still listing lower bowl tickets at $88. $88. Now, here's the rumor that people say, well, I think they're charging half price until the team wins. Well, they're not listing that on Ticketmaster. Still listing the tickets at $88 a piece. And, and it's just like, in what world do you think you can charge almost $90, almost $100? To go watch a team who hasn't won at home in 21 straight games, three seasons worth of play almost, and get away with it. And have your fans be like, okay. Right? Like some of the dumbest things I've heard from or read about, you know, what's going to help get this team turned around is change the name back to the Eskimos. That's where it all went wrong. No, no, a name change did not create an 0-21 at home record, an 0-8 record this season. It's not good for the league. And this is why I'm going to say there is a, if this is a nine team league, two thirds of that league is under 500. The Argos are six and one Montreal barely over 500. Who got one loss, Scott, too? Uh, that would be the Calgary Stampeders, I believe. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. My math is wrong. Four teams are over uh, 500. Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg and BC. Ottawa is three and four. That record will be worse. Hamilton is three and five. I don't know what many too many games they're going to win throughout the rest of the year, unless well Edmonton. But Saskatchewan's three and four. Calgary is three and five, and then they've already talked about zero and eight. Um, Edmonton Elks. What really kind of gets me going on this is this isn't new. This isn't new where the majority of the league is under 500 for a good portion of the season. The fact that there's always talk of a crossover, potential crossover team going from the West to the East because the East is not good. And meanwhile, we're still putting on touchdown Atlantic. They're still talking about a 10th team. How about get you nine teams right first, deal with the Edmonton problem, deal with the fact that you got all these franchises that are not good and figure it out like i i, I don't want to hear about a 10th franchise right now because why why do you want to dilute the talent pool that much more with a 10th franchise just to watch them fight with the elks to go on a winless season because they'd probably tie against each other neither team would win it would just be a tie so i'm kind of at that point like let's back burner this on a stove in the basement and leave it alone for now. Like, let's figure out we got Toronto lost Chad Kelly against Calgary. Montreal still has Fajardo. Sure. Ottawa. Yeah. Mazzoli came back for what, what a, a play, a series, a quarter. quarter. He's out. Hamilton, Bo Levi and Schultz. They're out. Winnipeg still has Claros. BC might have Adams back next week. Dane Evans got hurt. Could be Dom Davis time. Who knows? Sask? Well, Trevor Harris is out. Calgary's still running with Mayer, and Edmonton never had a quarterback. So something needs to be done. Like, it just, it, it's, I really wish they'd stop talking about expansion. And I know Ambrosi has kind of said it's tabled right now. We're not really, but 
everyone else still brings it up like it's something that needs to be done and i don't understand why well the, the cfl is a quarterback driven league and you just really hit on a point there aren't enough quarterbacks in this league. The CFL is a quarterback driven league. When a team has a very good quarterback, they're very exciting to watch. Winnipeg, fun team to watch. They have a good quarterback. Winnipeg scores lots of points. BC usually has a quarterback. BC scores lots of points. Fun team to watch. Chad Kelly in Toronto, when healthy, has scored a ton of points. But then there's a real drop off. Into the next. So you got Winnipeg, BC, Toronto. Go figure. All three of them have established quarterbacks. Those are the three best teams in the league. Montreal with Cody Fajardo is marginal. Well, Montreal has a marginal record. Ottawa. Ottawa, the fact they have three wins already is astounding to me. One of them came against my Stampeders in a crazy, crazy game. Very entertaining. but And Winnipeg. And Winnipeg, yeah, go figure. They beat Winnipeg with who is it, Chad uh, Crum or whatever his name is. Yeah, like he he he's just runs all over the field. It, it's it's actually very entertaining, but I, I don't think it's sustainable. Hamilton, like Boldy by Mitchell, even when he has been playing, has been horrific. And I'm not sure how Hamilton has won three games this year. Yeah, five. Calgary's got Jake. Yeah, exactly. Last Calgary, game. Calgary's got Jake Mayer who may or may not be a starting quarterback in this league, threw for 450 yards against Ottawa and then barely got 150 against both Toronto and Montreal. So, like, jury's very much out on on Jake Mayer and Calgary. But this is not a good thing. It is affecting the asses in the seats. It really is. Who wants to go and watch? Uh, you know, I was at the game on Friday night. Stampeders beat the at the at the time undefeated Toronto Argonauts, twenty to seven. That wasn't a very entertaining game. It was exciting. My team won, so that part of it was very exciting. But in total, there was two offensive touchdowns scored the whole game, and they both came in the first four drives of the game. There was not an offensive touchdown scored in that game after. The first quarter, there was two field goals in that entire game by both teams after the first quarter. There was a crazy punt fumble for a touchdown, which only happens in the CFL, by the way, like goes crazy, go to field it, drop it, rolls in the end zone, another team jumps on it for a touchdown. That is uniquely Canadian football. That was very exciting, but I'm sorry it was the only exciting play there was no exciting plays in the second half of this game the game was over at halftime for excitement level that's not a good thing it's not <clears throat> seeing one field goal in a half of football by both teams is not a good thing edmonton getting shut out twice is not a good thing they used to say chicks dig the long ball well chicks dig touchdowns chicks dig scoring you got to get the freaking people in the seats. And if you're not showing an offensive caliber game, that's what draws people in. When you go to an NHL hockey game, would you rather watch a 5-4 game or a 1-0 game? Well, chances are you'd rather watch a 5-4 game. The, the CFL is no different. Like Calgary played Ottawa a few weeks back. It was like 44-42 in overtime. It was ridiculous. It was my team lost, went home, highly entertained. 
My team won on Friday night, 20 to 7. Yeah, they won, which is great. I was not highly entertained. If that was somebody's first game they'd ever been to in the CFL, they'd kind of be like, ooh, yeah. I don't know. Well, there, there's, even... there's an asses in seats problem that they got to get sorted out. And to me, that starts with at the quarterback position. Well, it has Thursday. to. You, we have to find more quarterbacks. We'll take Thursday night, right? Like in Winnipeg, the second of third three matches, BC took the first one and was dominant on defense and held the Bombers to like six points, nine points, whatever it was. One, that doesn't happen to Winnipeg. Two, they came out with a chip on their shoulder at five and two, BC at six and one. You got the two best teams in the league going head to head in a rematch where the Lions defensively dominated Zach Caleros with seven sacks and kept the kept them out of the end zone. And yet the Bombers came out slinging and they whooped BC's ass handily. I will have no problem saying that. The Bombers were the Bombers. BC defense was not the BC defense in that game. But you got a match, a marquee matchup. And it wasn't sold out in Winnipeg. They showed the crowd and there was a lot. Like, I mean, it wasn't Elks empty. But how there were seats left for that game, I don't understand. When you can't get a, a sellout for the two best teams going at it, that's, a, that's an issue as well, right? Like, where's the excitement of going, like, you know, we got to see this matchup, right? And, and it was a high-scoring game for the home team, which should have meant they all went home entertained. But, I mean, I five minutes left, I turned it off, but, I mean, it was kind of a done deal at that time. But that's the thing. is like, it, it turned it off in the second quarter. <laughs> it's possible. But, like, <laughs> how do you not have a full stadium for that game? I just don't know. Like that's it's mind-boggling, right? Like you would think that you'd be able to fill that no problem. I'm not worried about Winnipeg. The three teams I am worried about: Saskatchewan, Calgary, Edmonton. But yeah, you know, Montreal doesn't have a big stadium; they can only hold twenty thousand. While they're getting relatively close to that capacity, so I'm okay with that. Ottawa, shockingly, speaking of long, like, went home winless streaks, they just got off one of double-digit games and finally won a game at home. But they're still drawing okay for Ottawa. Hamilton's drawing okay. They've never been huge draws. They've never been 30,000, 35,000 at a game. Saskatchewan, Calgary, Edmonton, those three teams are perennial were perennial draw 30 35,000 every game every game they're not Saskatchewan is drawing 25,000 to a game Calgary's drawing 20 to 22,000 Edmonton massive 50 60,000 seat stadium is drawing 18 20,000 to a game yours attendance figures in Saskatchewan Calgary Edmonton combined are probably half of what they were, let's say, seven, eight years ago. I've been a season ticket holder for 15 years. It used to be 32,000 every game, 31, 30. Then it was, oh, we got 29, 28. We're now at 22. So I've gone from 30 to 35,000 at every game to 20 to 22. That's a lot of fans. It's, it, it is such a worry for this league. 
how much longer can it go? Because it is a gate-driven league. How much yeah. longer can it go when three of its flagship franchises, and that's Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, are flagship franchises in the Canadian Football League. I know you're a BC Lions fan. You don't want to hear it. It's the truth. Those three teams are probably the flagship franchises in the CFL. They're not drawing the fans. Saskatchewan, to me, is the biggest worry because they've never had issues drawing fans. That's a a brand-new stadium. And that's a beautiful, almost brand-new stadium. And they're struggling. The Stampeders were there a few weeks ago. It was not a sellout. The Riders were in Calgary a month ago. It was not a sellout. You used to not be able to get tickets for those games. It was impossible. I I would be sitting there with my season tickets excited because I knew I had tickets. And it was packed. Like, you literally, every row, every aisle was packed. And now it's, there were probably 10,000 less fans at that game than there traditionally is. That's traditionally 35,000. And there was 25,000. That's, that, if that isn't the biggest red flag ever. You got Toronto is the top team in the CFL drawing 12,000 fans a game. And they had to move from the Rogers Center to a much smaller venue and still struggle to put asses in seats. I mean, on a positive, back in the days, you know, BC used to have, you know, BC Play Stadium. They had the upper level open. They had the lower level open. Then it got to the point where just the lower level was open and they put up these like blocking screens so you couldn't see the upper deck kind of thing to now where they're opening the upper deck again. Right. So that's a positive, but you've got way too many other situations that are going in the wrong direction. And, but here's, here's what worries me though. You're talking about this is a positive. No, it's not because they're still only drawing 20 something thousand, 22,000 fans. Like the lower bowl in BC Place when it's full is only 18,000 fans. So whoopty shit, they're opening up the top. It's only barely over 20,000 fans. That's not good enough. It's exciting that they're drawing more, but no. it's still a very low number. But and the it's fact still that lower. It's lower positive. than Calgary, Edmonton, and Saskatchewan. So it is a positive when you before you didn't even consider opening that up because there wasn't there wasn't the the want for it. Now you're opening it up because more people yeah. do want to come. They're drawing, in my opinion, and this isn't just being a BC Lions fan, the BC Lions to me are the only team right now that are actually actively doing things to try and draw more people to the game. Oh, 100% agree. Right? And they totally that's agree. like you need more owners like Omar Daman in BC that are actively trying to do things outside of the box to bring fans to the stadium. It was a One Republic concert before the home opener last year. It was LL Cool J this year, right? Who's it going to be next year? Like, does that bring people into the game that may or may not normally go? Sure. But if you draw in, let's just for numbers sake, if you bring 10,000 people to the game because they want to see One Republic or LL Cool J, if you can grab half of those and go, well, shit, you know, this actually is really good entertainment and it's affordable, I'm going to come do this more often. Right. If you can grab people with that gimmick, for lack of a better term, at the home opener, well, then you're going to bring more people in. And then that 22,000 is going to become 25. It's going to become 27. I don't think we're ever going to get back to the days of BC Place Stadium. I mean, 
pre-renovation, it held 60,000 people. Right now, it's like 50 plus somewhere in there. Is BC ever going to draw a sellout with 52,000 people, we'll say, at BC Place? No. But if they can continue to grow that number with what the ownership is doing there, keep doing it. Why other teams aren't doing it? Like they were saying, I forget that opening weekend, BC had LL Cool J and the Elks had a dog race at halftime. Right? Like they're saying the entertainment value, the added entertainment value to draw people's attention to the game is not there. They're not doing it. So what if they're not putting the product into the team, if the money into the team, they're not putting in the entertainment value into anything else. Why are they continuing to show up? You're not getting yeah, the crowd. I, I'm really worried about the, the CFL. I really, really am worried. If it continues the way it's going, there will not be a league in five years. They have we continuously to, like, say Ambrosi, that? Randy Ambrosi is killing this league. He is death by a million paper cuts. And when you cannot draw barely more than 20,000 fans to games in Calgary and Edmonton, that is a problem. Saskatchewan, we're only getting 25,000 fans. That's a problem. That's a, a huge problem. That BC getting an extra 3,000 to a game isn't going to cover it off. Kudos to the Lions. Maybe they can get 50,000 and, and and totally cover off the lack of <laughs> attendance in those three other West markets. But even Winnipeg. Winnipeg's the best team in the league. They're not selling out. They've got a beautiful stadium, too. They're not yeah. selling out like huge problem just a huge huge problem that is going to be the death of our league if they don't change it and we were talking about it at the game on friday we uh, there's a group of about 12 of us that sit together at the games we were talking about it going we may not be here in four years we may not because there is not enough people there and it is i snapped you a picture of half an hour before kickoff at McMahon Stadium, and there was maybe 3,000 fans in the seats. I was like, I, I joked to you, I said, we may not get 15,000 today. No, we ended up getting 20, but still, it's not good. Not good. Te- Texas high school football pulls more more uh, gate revenue than the CFL does at times, let's be honest. And, and the, the crazy thing is the CFL is more exciting. The CFL is exciting. The quality of football on the field has actually been pretty good. It's highly entertaining. And the sad thing is, is no one is seeing it and no one's being propelled to watch it and no one's being persuaded to watch it. The quality of the football on the field the last couple of seasons has been really good. Well, your, your game, Toronto versus Calgary, was on TSN4. TSN4. TSN has five channels. Plus their 4K. And you got to pay for two, three, four, and five. And if you don't, you didn't get to watch the game. That meant the CFL prime only TV right holder in Canada wasn't willing to show the game nationally on its PSN one, which you you would get in the basic sport. But package. here's here's the sad thing about it though. The, the Argos Stampeders game on TSN4, I think, drew 600,000 views, which is pretty good for Canadian Football League. I think it was MLS Soccer that was on TSN1 at the same time competing. 
drew 150,000 viewers. Yeah. Yeah, you tell some, uh, me what sport should be on TSN one and what sport should be on TSN four. It's yeah, it's not good enough. There's like some uh, leagues champion cup or whatever. So the MLS facing off against different leagues and stuff like that. TSN holds all the rights. Like, how do you not have TTV or someone else showing the game that on a channel that is just basic cable? You get like you don't need to pay for the sports packages to watch the Canadian Football League, right? Like, to me, that's a huge miss on the league's part to only have one TV provider in Canada that you have to you have to pay for, right? Remember games you'll be used to be on CBC. Well, Ken, yeah. yeah. Well, Ken, let's talk about another huge miss. You just this is a perfect segue, and that's the Toronto Blue Jays. That's just in general a statement. The, the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays have been a huge miss. And I can't believe I'm saying this about a team that is currently 12, 13 games over 500 in a playoff spot right there battling for a wild card spot. It's been a huge miss. It really has. Both you and I sat here and did our MLB predictions to start the year. Both of us picked the Toronto Blue Jays to win this division for very plausible reasons. Good pitching, good hitting, good bullpen. Well, two of the three of those have been true. They've had very good pitching. They've had very good starting pitching. They're third in baseball in, in ERA in starting pitching. They're they're like second in wins in baseball out of their start. Like they've had tremendous pitching. They've had, for the most part, other than Jordan Romano in the ninth, pretty reliable bullpen. They have not had hitting at all. At all. And let's preface this, clutch hitting at all. So, Ken, if you were heading into the Major League trade deadline, what would have your preference been Priority been for the Toronto Blue Jays to go out and do. Well, Would have been get a bat, get an arm, get a starter. To me, priority one was get a bat or seven. Yeah. They they didn't. It, 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 they got Paul DeYoung because Bobachet went down. That was the only positional player they picked up. They didn't replace Kevin Biggio's, the Espinals, the the guys like that that just aren't producing at a, at a good enough rate to remain with the big club. And you know, and they 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 talked about how, oh well, we'll have you know internal promotion to to fill those needs. You're gonna fill the needs of major league players by bringing up minor league players. Minor league okay. players. Okay. If they were good enough to fill those holes, they would have been in the spot in the first place. I, I picking up um Hicks to to kind of cover off the Romano injury and shakiness of oh, is he actually gonna save this one or is he gonna blow this one? Um I fine, I'm that's a good pickup. You know, they got Genesis Cabrera. I did want to let, I almost wanted to let 
Atkins know that they could have traded with someone other than just the Cardinals because the Cardinals are trading those good rental players or whatever you wanted to call them because they were not in a winning position. So, yes, you can usually get some gems off of those teams, but I think they completely, absolutely dropped the ball in picking up what they needed. Guys like, you know, Guerrero's not hitting great in his last what 30 40 games um that that hit Springer I don't know, say his last 109 games yeah Springer was on like that just a horrendous over run over 39 over 39 he got one hit and then that was it he went back to swinging and missing yeah but he had four hits yesterday <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, that's great. But how about uh, how about everything else? Right? Like, I don't know. It just they didn't do what they needed to do, right? And, and Baltimore didn't really do much, but they didn't. Did they really need to? Yeah, Tampa no. did a little, little bit. Did they really need to do much? They're on a bit of a slide, but I, I don't know. Like, they needed to do more. Like Guerrero, 18 home runs on the season and 69 RBI. Is that good enough? Probably not. He might get 100 RBIs, but you want the home run total to be a little bit higher for what the expectation is. Sure, Bo Bichette, like, I, I don't know. He's hitting 321, but his defense is horrible. Um, I don't know. I, I think they absolutely missed the... Missed the ball or dropped the ball here. Alejandro Kirk is not the player he was when he came up. I'm sorry. He is, in my mind, overrated. If you were to do an MLB overrated show, Alejandro Kirk would 100% be on my list. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. But it, here's the thing. They shouldn't have had to been thinking bad. They no. shouldn't even have had to been thinking that. Vlad Guerrero Jr., not cutting it this year. Bobachette, I'll give him somewhat of a pass. But even Bobachette isn't on pace. And definitely now that he's hurt, was not on pace for 100 RBIs. Danny Jansen's been about the lone bright spot in this lineup. Matt Chapman, not producing enough. George Springer, not producing enough. Dalton Varsho, not producing enough. Alejandro Kirk, not producing enough. Kevin Kiermeyer, Danny Jansen, Whit Merrifield. Three of your six essentially everyday players are exceeding expectations. Six of your nine. You're talking about Kevin Biggio, Santiago Espinal. Who cares? Who cares? Those, would it be nice if they're producing more? Sure. The real problem with this team is Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, George Springer. The fact this team can't score clutch runs. And the crazy thing about this team is their actual overall metrics for hitting are top half of the league. They are in the top half of the league offensively. But they can't do it at a clutch time. This team cannot hit with runners in scoring position. This team cannot blow a game wide open. This team cannot hit a three-run home run to make a 3-1 game, a 6-1 game. If I'm the pitching staff on this team, I am so mad 
because the pitching staff has done everything, everything asked of them. They've, except maybe Alec Manoa, they've done everything asked of them. Top five in baseball in most pitching categories. And for Atkins to not go out and address this team's really big weakness has to be so deflating for that pitching staff to go, oh my God, you didn't even get us help. You didn't even get us help. The Toronto Blue Jays on paper are so well built. Great pitching, great bullpen, great defense. Should be able to score runs at, oh, I don't want to say at will, but should be able to score a lot more runs, and they're not. Did you know, as of right now, the Blue Jays are on pace to have zero players hit 25 home runs this year and zero players to get to 100 RBIs this year? Looking at you, Vlad. Looking at you, George. Looking at you, Bo. Like, Bo Bichette is hitting 321 in the two-hole, in the three-hole, but is still only on pace when he got hurt for roughly 85 RBIs. This team has no clutch factor, and they can't score that big run when they need it. This team should be a World Series contender. They fumbled their way to 12 games above 500, and the only reason they're 12 games above 500 is because they are that good. They've mistakenly won 62 ball games this year with piss poor offense and, and no clutch hittings. They've the, the 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 culmination of all the parts have accidentally won 62 games this year. We have not seen this team fire on all three cylinders ever this season. Maybe once. Well, I think they had, what, a six or seven game winning streak early in the season. Outside of that, it's been win four, lose three. Win three, lose four. Can't they win in the East. pretty much five. Yeah. And can't win within their division. They're eight and 24 against the AL East. Somehow they're third in their division, being eight and 24 within the division. Like this has been, I tweeted this about two weeks ago. This has been the most disappointing season. I've ever watched as a Blue Jays fan because the pieces are there and the give a shit factor, the the care factor is not there. This team looks like they are just going through the motion some days at the plate. And I, not the pitching staff. I'm not lumping the pitching staff in there. I'm lumping in George Springer going on an 0-39 for 39 streak where he looked – at the plate in half those appearances. Didn't care. I'm talking about Vlad Guerrero Jr. pounding double play after double play into the dirt to the shortstop. I don't care if he's hitting it, uh, you know, 110 exit speed, exit velocity. Who cares when he's hitting it straight into the ground for a two hopper to the shortstop for a double play? Who cares? I'm talking Bo Bichette being Bowen two and every freaking important at bat. Down two strikes, singing, swinging crazily. Matt Chapman striking out like crazy with men on base. 130. That is Alejandro Kirk. I'm sorry, he's not built to be a singles hitter. Alexandra, Alejandro Kirk is got no, no power this year. He actually hit two home runs the other day, which was insane. Alejandro Kirk has, what, seven doubles this year? Six home run. He's 13 extra base hits this year. I'm sorry, Alejandro Kirk is not built to be a singles hitter. He's not a 
get him on, get him over, get him in build. He's a get him to second and then hit a triple and hopefully he can score kind of like he is. He not needs double a power to get a single. Yeah, he, exactly. Well, this team is mind boggling frustrating because they are, they should be, should be a hundred win ball club, but they're not even close. They're not even close. And guys who have always hit, like they've all gone cold in the same year. Here's why I say they needed to go out and replace the Bigios and the Espinals and those guys on the rosters, because you're right. The main guys aren't doing it, but when the main guys aren't doing it and the guys on the bench are nowhere even close to even producing what the main guys are producing at, you're not replacing piss poor with anything better. You're going to get the same out of them, right? So Springer's 0-35, right? Well, you might get 2-20 and out of Biggio. Is that really any better just for like a stat line? It, it, to me, that's that's why they needed to get someone like, oh, you're having a shit streak? Here, you're sitting on the ride in the pine until you figure it out. We got this guy who can step in for you. They don't have that. Um, and that's why they their bench has always, to me, been garbage because they can't replace the guys when they struggle. So you got to leave the struggling guys in there because the struggling guys are better than what your other options are. The other thing is you talk about, you know, the hitting and not having the RBIs and stuff. One, are we too used to the Jays living off the long ball? And are they too used to living off the long ball? Because this team can't manufacture runs. Vladdy has four stolen bases in six attempts. Chapman is three and two. Jansen hasn't even tried, so that's fine. George is 14 and 18 attempts. Varsho is 12 and 16. Whit Merrifield's 21 and 29 attempts. Kevin Kiermaier's 11 and 0 in stealing bases. Boba Shett, who t- hits at the top of the lineup, is 321 and gets on base, has had six attempts, and has been thrown out three of them. This team can't manufacture runs. And be like, they can't. They struggle at the small ball. Varsho has been able to bunt to get on a few times, right? But they can't manufacture the runs by playing small ball because you can't play small ball when you got a guy on Kirk, like Kirk on first base or second base. He's the easy out in that play. You could probably turn a double play if you tried that. But that's the one of their biggest problems. They live and die off the long ball, and it's showing. Well, they don't even live and die off the long ball well, this year because no, they can't hit the year. long ball. Yeah, and so they're only yeah, and they're only the the only time they do score runs is when they do actually manufacture runs, and it is painful to watch this team try and manufacture runs. They come up with big base hits. You look that, at the ball, ball game turn. just the other night against the against the Boston Red Sox. A couple times they had runners on third with less than two outs and didn't score. They the bases loaded in the ninth. Last night, up five, three chance to absolutely blow it open. One with only one out. They don't score another run. They scored one run that inning. This team cannot get that big hit that blows a game wide open. They can't get the big sack fly that makes it five, three to six, three. No, they strike out. They pop out. They hit into a double play. It's crazy. And when they aren't hitting the long ball like this year, it shows. It's painful. Watching this team gets down 2 nothing, and you're just like, oh, my God, this game might be Done. over. 
because yeah. you know how much of a struggle it's going to be to try to get those two runs back. And well, I'll give them some credit. They've been scrappy. They've been scrappy. They're having to, they've got 62 wins. I would venture a guess that 50 of those 62 wins are three runs or less. I, I've not even looked up a stat, and I'm pretty I'm pretty confident in saying they probably don't have more than 10 wins this year of four runs or more. Like every yeah. ball game is ridiculously close. And that just you can't continue on like that. It's yeah. at some point you need to have a couple of laughers and you know, how about you win a game six two? How about you win a yeah. game nine four? Like what's wrong with that? No, let's win every game three two, four three, five three. Like I'm back win every I'm back win. Yeah, it's insane. It's but it's well, the, the reason it's insane is because the talent's there and yeah. the talent the they're all on off years and let's, let's call a spade a spade. This team, it, they'll probably make the playoffs and they will probably lose the wild card game. Oh, it bounced real quick. Just like last year. They, this team will not win because they don't have a, an ounce of clutch hitting in them. This team's never won a postseason game with the core. What makes you think this year when they can't hit will be any better? Like, I'm. I hate being Debbie Downer about the Blue Jays, but they literally have been just aggravating, aggravating to watch this year. Yeah. So, I, the one thing with the Jays, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but that series that we just had against Baltimore, the Jays managed to do something I never thought I would be, and that was jealous of the Baltimore Orioles. In the first two games of that series. Baltimore was something, it was stupid. They were like 20 for 34 or something like that. We're hitting with runners in scoring position. And it showed because the Jays gave up a lot of runs in those two games to Baltimore. And it's because the, the, the Orioles were able to do what the Jays couldn't. And that was hit in clutch situations to bring, get in again, another run across the plate, another run across the plate, another run across the plate. And the Jays, no matter what they did, couldn't stop it, and they couldn't do it themselves to get back in the game. It was done. It was over. Even late in the game, the bleeding continued. Well, it, in those two games, uh, 18, 18 innings, two games, Jays were 0 for 18 with runners in scoring position in those in the first two games that Baltimore series. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. And that made like that just that that series highlighted just the the overall gear for the Toronto Blue Jays. They were in the game against Baltimore and they got smoked late in the game, grand slam, but they couldn't hit with a guy on. They got decent starting pitching, they had decent bullpen until Nate Pearson came in and absolutely blew up. Couldn't score the big run when they needed it. Second game, same thing. They were in the ball game and they just they couldn't they couldn't score the big run when they needed it. They couldn't get the big hit and the team that's first in the division and going to win the division, the Baltimore Orioles showed why they are because they hit like 400 runners in scoring position and we hit zero. Yeah. Like, so, like you got and then we managed to win the, the third game. You, you managed to win the third game of the series because you got hit by, you had an error with the bases loaded or something like that. And two hits batsmen with the bases. They didn't even get a big hit and they still managed to win the game because it's what three hits the entire game and one yeah like they got out hit four to three or whatever it was that inning that brought in the winning runs was three guys got walked 
two got hit by pitches. There was no hits. They scored, I think it was something like three runs on no hits. Or one hit, whatever it was. It was just pathetic. But it, Absurd. That, that's the only way the Jays can put runs across the board with runners in scoring position is when the other team makes a mistake. There was an error. Yeah, sorry, it was an error for one run. Walk walks in the hit batsman. Yeah, that's what brought it in. Not even a hit. And it was just like, wow. So frustrating. It's crazy. That's the Jays season. That's the life of the Jays. Jays. Yeah, yeah. At least, you know, I'm wearing the hat today, right? You know, representing. Well, I'm going going to my first Blue Jays game on Friday. Taking the family to the Jays and Cubs. Looking forward to it. I've never been to a ball game in Toronto, so... It's uh, it's an experience. I've been to a few. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the team is making less errors in that time, though. We will, I will say that you know the the E column has been left generally with a goose egg in there. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, we'll see how it all plays out in the end. But if they make the playoffs, it could be another quick exit, just uh, just like last year. So, well, we'll see. Hopefully, they make better pitching and, choices. And don't get us wrong. Don't get us wrong. We love the Blue Jays. The reason why we're frustrated is because there was expectations this year. I honestly felt like the changes they made this offseason were the right moves. They're defensively way better. Their pitching's good. And of all the things I didn't think I would have to worry about this year, it was the offense. And the offense is the reason this team isn't 30 games above 500. And it's... It's just disappointing because this team is built to win and they're not, and they're not going to. And then you get the trade deadline come and go and they didn't do what they needed to do. And it felt like there was at the 2014 Jays where Jose Bautista was just like, ah, we have a chance to win and you didn't make us better. How do you think that makes us feel? The the, the team has to feel like that right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they can spin 100%. it at Oh, it's a vote of confidence for George Springer all they want. No, the team's pissed. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. How many guys were out there available that had their favorite thing? Team control, right? If they don't have team control, they usually don't go out and pick a guy up. So, and yeah, this this all this frustration comes from a place of being a fan and wanting this team to perform at the level that we think they can and have shown that they can. And that's the thing is that this comes from a, a place of frustration more than, you know, we don't want to sit here and rag on the team. We want to talk about how they're in a great position to win, win the division and hopefully get a more favorable matchup in the playoffs. Like right now they're going to be going against potentially Baltimore or someone that will be able to walk in and whoop their ass real easy, real quick. So it could be an, if it's a divisional opponent in the playoffs, good luck because they ain't doing so well, so hot in the, in the yeah. regular season, they can't even finish 500 against the East in regular season. So, yeah, a bit frustrating. Eight and 24, eight and 24 yeah. heading into today. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, we make it nine and 24. But, well, Charlie, that's our show for today. We're going to have another bit of a break here. You're going to be off in Toronto and uh, off on another vacation to the fun and sun and enjoying that so i mean you could always take the laptop with you we could do one you know live on location you're on the beach and you know i'm still in the the studio at home (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, the laptop may be coming with me, so it's a possibility yeah. <laughs> if I can get good enough Wi-Fi. <laughs> we just got to make sure you uh, keep the Mai Tais down until after the recording. Could get a little sloppy that way. Yeah. Why would I do that? <laughs> well, I mean, it might be a good excuse for some of your predictions, you know. Well, I was drunk that day. But yeah, that's that's our show for this uh, for this week. We will be back again shortly. Maybe a little bit of a break here again. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. Don't forget to check out Belly Up Sports. Go to bellyupsports.com. Check out all the articles written by the many, many writers on all the different sports topics. And don't forget to check out the other podcasts available. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.